is Matthew 6.10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And also from Matthew 8, 5 through 10. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, and he said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Last Sunday, we kicked off a series as we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, specifically on this prayer that Jesus prays called the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it's a prayer that many of you have heard, whether you have a lot of history with the church or not. Uh, and it's, it's, it's worth our time to dig into it and to delve into the implications of what Jesus calls us to pray for. So last week we looked at this uh, prayer, and, and the first part of the prayer says, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And, and so... What we said about that was that we have access to our Father in heaven because of the work of Jesus. And I want to even take it a step further. I would say this. When we pray, we are like God's favorite son or daughter when we enter into prayer with God, if we have faith in Jesus. Now, a lot of times I think we, we feel like we're trying to twist God's arm when we pray, when we enter into communion with Him, we communicate with Him. But church, I want to challenge you to see yourself as God's favorite son, God's favorite daughter. He can't wait to hear you. He can't wait to communicate with you. He can't wait to be with you. Now that prayer starts off with seeing God as our Father and His beloved children. And that's significant because it sets the tone for the rest of what we pray for. We're not trying to convince God of our relationship with Him. It's there. It's paid for. We are in fellowship with Jesus and our Father in heaven. And so from that, he goes on and tells us to pray that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're going to spend our time on today, looking at that, that phrase, that petition that he gives toward us. Now, um, what you notice about praying for the kingdom to come <clears throat> is that there's an evidence that he says the kingdom will look like. It'll look like God's will will be done throughout his people on heaven as it, on earth as it is in heaven. So there's evidence of the kingdom. And I was thinking even this morning about my own story and about how I came to faith in Jesus. I want to share a little bit about that with you. But as I'm sharing this, I want you to think about how you've come to faith in Jesus. Or if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe the, 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 the experience you've had around people that have been changed by God that have met God. Uh, When I was a high schooler, uh, through a series of unforeseen situations, I met two families. And um, they showed me that a life outside of myself was possible and that that was probably the best thing for me because, you know, the world revolves around you. Not only when you're a teenager, when you grow old as well, it revolves around you unless God intervenes. And they showed me that a life outside of myself 
uh, was possible. And you know how they did that? They did that because they made an invisible God visible to me through the way that they lived, through the way that they loved, through the way that they honored me, through the way that they treated me, through the way that they challenged me. They showed me the invisible kingdom of God because they had been changed by God. Because in my mind, God had, uh, had been pretty invisible. Uh, I'd been through a lot of things as a kid. I didn't realize the extent of them until I got older. Uh, things that a kid shouldn't experience. But I noticed when I tasted that kingdom that was different than the kingdom that I've been living in, that I wanted more of it. And, and some things that they lived out before me uh, were, were one of my friend's fathers. His name was Terry. And, and Ter- I remember Terry, that one of the first times I met him, he was, he was talking with us and he was openly sharing his struggle with us. He wasn't keeping it close to his vest like other Christians I had met. He was openly sharing his story. He told me about a business trip he went on to Detroit. And now he was, he's, he's the vice president of, of this Fortune, uh, a vice president of this Fortune 500 company. And he was telling me about this woman that tried to seduce him every night for a week when he was in Detroit. She would come to his room at the same hour every night. She would knock on the door and, and try to deceive and to tempt him into giving in to that. He was a married man with a family. And he told me about that struggle, and that stuck with me. I mean, it's 20 years later, I still remember. He was, he was willing to be open and honest about his weakness. He later went on to leave his position at the company to take uh, on the call of pastoring a very small church in rural Kentucky. Everybody thought that he was crazy, that, 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 that didn't follow Jesus. And for me, it was just another evidence that God must be real. They showed me what it means to live generously. They gave away more than I've ever seen anyone give away before. And they were so content because they knew that it all belonged to God. They evidenced the kingdom time and time and time again before my eyes until I came to this place where I had to decide, if this is real, i got to follow this Jesus. And so that's what began to happen in my life. And you know what happened after I became a follower of Jesus? About two years after that, I was a senior in high school, and my mom came to me one night. And some of you have heard this story before. And she said, Ryan, what's going on in your life? Something's different. Something's different about what's going on in your life. And trust me, I still had the same, a 17-year-old boy, I still had the same struggles any other 17-year-old boy had. But I had a power that was otherworldly, and it was because Jesus was living inside of me. And he was, he was leading my life. And I was making decisions that I wouldn't make on my own. And my mom, that night in my room, bowed her knee to Jesus because she'd seen an evidence of the kingdom. It was nothing that I was doing other than letting God work and live inside of me. And so here's the truth. We are all building a kingdom this morning. And that kingdom that we're building reveals a king that we're serving. And what I want to do this, this morning is to unpack that. And, we, and if I'm doing my job and the Holy Spirit's doing His job, you should feel convicted this morning, but you should also feel encouraged to follow Jesus on a little further than you have before this morning. The kingdoms that we're building reveal the king that we're serving this morning. And maybe you feel aimless. Maybe you feel stuck. Maybe you feel, you feel discouraged that maybe the marriage that you thought was going to be really the, 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 the golden ticket in your life that was going to bring you so much happiness has is, 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 is turned into a real struggle like any marriage is. 
Maybe, maybe your kids are running off the rails and they're driving you nuts this morning. Maybe you look at your life and you say, man, I think someone that's not a follower of Jesus could live my life. That's a real question to ask. Could someone who's not following Jesus evidence the kingdom that I'm building? And it convicts us because there are ways that we see that it's true, that it's real. But as you see that this morning, I want to encourage you that I have really good news for you this morning. Your Father in Heaven knows this about you. He knows even more than you can see, and He has not left you. He keeps coming to you. That's what Advent is all about. That Jesus has arrived and He keeps arriving in our lives. Even through the twists and turns and the sins and the struggle, He keeps showing up. Some of you are at church for the first time in a long time this morning, and Jesus just keeps showing up in your life. And He hasn't forsaken you, and He hasn't left you, but He keeps meeting you. And when the Gospel of the Kingdom of Jesus, when it grabs us, church, it changes us. You don't have to go throughout your life trying to produce evidence that you're a Christian. But it just flows from you because Jesus is living inside of you. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father who's holy in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is to heaven, as it is in heaven. He, he teaches us that there's going to be a longing inside of us for more of Jesus to come. And that that's a good thing. That when we look at our lives and we see I'm not as far as I would like to be, we should also see that I'm not what I was. And that I'm also not what I'm going to be. That Jesus is in control of the life that he's leading you into and the evidence that he's displaying in and through you. So the big idea of where the sermon's going this morning is this. The church is called to pray for, or we could say to long for, the invisible kingdom to be made visible in and through our lives. So I want to make three points about this. The first one is this. And, and I'm answering a question when I make these points. The question is this. How is the invisible kingdom made visible through the church? How, is that, how does that happen? The first point is this. I'm going to just tell you where I'm going and then we're going to go there. We must crown Jesus as King of our lives. I think we've assumed far too much about what that means. We must crown Jesus as King of our lives. And when we do this, when King Jesus reigns, He reigns in me and He reigns thirdly through me. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's dig in. We must crown Jesus as King of our lives. I think we can easily blow this concept off because we, we look at it and we say, Jesus uh, is Lord of my life. It's just a phrase, a cliche phrase that we've been using since we have been in the church and we picked up on this terminology. Uh, but there's one acid test of the Christian life. And it's this, if the outcome of my life evidenced the King, who would it be? If what my life produces revealed something about who I was serving, what would it show? Because you can't, really, you can't really run away from that. The evidence is the evidence. So it's, it's a tough question and we should all struggle to answer it. But, but, but what, what happens is that when we crown Jesus as King of our lives, it's something that we do once and we become followers of Jesus, but it's also something we do every single day. It's something we have to do every, it's something we have to keep doing every single day. And, and we're, we're most prone to realize the kingdom problems, the evidences. Oh, that evidence probably shouldn't show up in my life as a Christian. We, we see these things, but, but what you need to know is this, is that the kingdom problem that you're seeing reveals a king problem. And we've got to come back to and ask ourselves the question, is Jesus really king of my life? 
Uh, there was a British evangelist uh, that came uh, from the UK in the 1960s uh, to the United States uh, to be an evangelist, and his name was John Guest. And John Guest was traveling around getting to know kind of the lay of the land as he had received a call to come and be an evangelist here. And he stumbled into a store one day that had some old relics. And he was, he was uh, stopped in his tracks by one of the relics that he discovered. And the relic that he discovered was this sign, and it said this, We serve no sovereign here. We serve no sovereign here. Now, that sign indicated you know, the break of the United States from the monarchy in the UK. But it also signified something about a people that lived here in the United States. Something about people's hearts. And he asked himself the question, how can I proclaim the kingdom of God to a people who are so averse to sovereign rule and reign? How can I proclaim a kingdom to people who don't have a category for a king? It's a good question to ask. It's a good question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. And the question is this. Not do I have a sovereign, but who is my sovereign? Who is it that I bow my knee to? And I'm going I'm to ask you to, to think about that as we, as we talk this morning because we all bow our knee to something. We bow our knees to many things. But King Jesus has come that we might bow our knees to Him. And we'd do it with such joy if we knew how good Jesus was. This is why Jesus marvels at this, this joker in Matthew 8, this Roman centurion, right? We're told that Jesus marvels two times. The word marvel, this word, is found like 43 times in the New Testament. And two times Jesus says it. One time He is marveling at the unbelief of, of His fellow people in Nazareth when He comes in and preaches in the temple. He says he couldn't even do any miracles there because there was so little faith. The second time he marvels, he marvels because there is such great faith with someone who shouldn't even have faith because he's a, he's a Roman centurion, he's a Gentile. He marvels at his faith. So let's look at it again real quick. So Je this is right after Jesus preaches like the only sermon that we have on record that he, that he preaches in a monologue style fashion, the Sermon on the Mount. Right after this. This so is what Jesus does. It says this, uh, Matthew 8, verse 5, when he entered Capernaum, it's the city around Galilee, a centurion came forward to him, appealing him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, and he says this, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority my soldiers uh, my soldiers under me and i say to one go and he goes and to another come and he comes and to my servant do this and he does it and when jesus heard this he marveled and he said to those who followed him he turns to his disciples after this and he says i tell you with no one in israel have i found such faith what is jesus marveled at in this guy he's marveled at his faith now this guy is a Roman centurion. He has a hundred guys that he's responsible for. Now, we notice some things about this guy. He is, he's a guy that is worthy to be served. He's in this position. He has a servant. He has soldiers under him. He can tell them to do whatever he wants to tell them to do. And they'll do it. This is what he acknowledges. He said, Jesus, you're the same way. You're king. 
You're even more. Like, I have authority, but you have so much more. I don't even want you to come to my house. I'm not even worthy. It's not that he's ashamed or embarrassed of what Jesus might see in his house. He's just saying, listen, how could you come and dwell and be a part of the house that I live in? Because your house is so much bigger. Your domain is so much greater. How could you even come? So this man is serving his servants. He's, he's, he's pleading for the life of his servant. That tells you what kind of a leader this man is. and It's just like Jesus serving those who are supposed to be serving Him. And Jesus marvels at His faith because He's a Roman. He has power. They're, they're ruling the area. And He marvels at His faith because He says, you could just say the words and it'll be done. The thing that, that strikes me from this that I have to ask myself is this. Is does, the, does the authority of King Jesus have any binding effect on my life? Does the authority of King Jesus have any binding effect? Meaning, when King Jesus says something, am I so quick to respond to it because of my awareness of His authority in the world? His authority over creation. His authority over everything. And I think part of the context that we live in in the United States really affects how we see a king. Because our categories for king are only bad. But Jesus is a good king. In fact, you look at Genesis chapter 12, you know, the, the promise to Abraham goes that, that God's going to bless the world through Abraham and his descendants. He's going to bless the world. And then we begin to see that picture unfold a little bit more when God sends a king. He sends King David. And King David is a good king. He's not a perfect king, but he's a good king. And then King Jesus comes, as we see from a, as a promise from 2 Samuel, where, where his rule and his reign will never end. And so we worship King Jesus because he has all rule and authority. Does King Jesus' authority have any binding effect on our lives this morning? I think we need an awakening to authentic sovereignty. You see, sovereignty is a very, very, very godly thing that He calls us to. That when He says the words to us through His Spirit and His words, that we respond and we obey. George MacDonald, who was an 1800s uh, Scottish author and pastor, he said something that, that really struck me this week. He says this, the one principle of hell is this, I am my own. Let me say that again. The one principle of hell is this. I am my own. You see, whenever we look at Jesus and He doesn't have any... His, his Word and His rule doesn't have any binding effect on our life, that's what we're saying with our lives. That's the evidence that we're producing in our lives. Is that I'm my own. That I belong to no one else but myself. I call the shots. Sure, I'm going to come in, I'm going to listen to God's Word, but then I'm going to do whatever I want to do. That's what we're saying. That's what we're agreeing. We're agreeing with the enemy in this. And when you look at the temptation of the devil, the accusations that he's made to his people throughout history, he's always trying to get us to second guess the authority of God, isn't he? He always is. And he does it in such subtle ways that we think it's our own idea. We, we come into agreement with the enemy and we make it our own idea. And we agree with this thought that I'm my own. And we give the devil a playground to rule and to reign in our lives. 
So my question is this, are you living on your own this morning? Now you're here and you're saying King Jesus is King, but in reality you're living on your own because the things you see in God's Word aren't true in your life. That's the evidence that, that we see. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing this letter to the, the church in Corinth, and it, it says this, are you do, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Meaning that God wants to come dwell inside of you. That, that He is doing that through faith. And then he says this phrase that, that reminds us of, of what we've just read. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. It's stern, stern language. That we're not our own. The, the uh, Heidelberg Catechism, which is this collection of... Uh, rich and robust theological sayings to help keep the church on track says a similar thing in the first question what's your only comfort in life and death so so what would be your comfort as a christian who has crowned jesus as king here's what it would look like that i'm not my own it's the first thing he says the writers i'm not my own it's something we have to remind ourselves every single day that i am not my own but i belong with body and soul both in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus and why? Because He's paid fully for my sins with His blood. And He has set me free from what? The power of the devil. You see, because we're born living in a different kingdom with a different king. This is why God has to give us new life. And so when Jesus comes and He lives a perfect life and he's, He dies on a sinner's cross and He's buried and He's raised, what He does is He, he puts to bed the power of the devil. He unplugs the power. And we realize that it's such a beautiful thing that we're not our own. It's so good. And he says He also gives us power. He preserves me in such a way that without the will of my Heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things, listen to this, must work together for my salvation. The writer of this is putting such a pressure on God to lead us to Himself and to change us into the image of God to show us what it looks like to live that kind of of life, And he says, therefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. This is the ordinary thing that God wants to do in the life of the person who's crowned Jesus as King. So let's keep going in this. Let's just say that you're coming to this place in your life where you're saying, yeah, Brian, I want more of King Jesus in my life. Not only do I want it with my words, I want it with my actions. I want evidence of the kingdom to be more present and visible in my life. What do I do? The first thing is this. When Jesus is king, he reigns in you. See, what we want to do is we want Jesus' reign and the evidence of that to go through us. But the scriptures frequently show us that it's going to go in us before it's going to go through us. And so let's look at how the, the evidence of the kingdom comes into our lives. Every king has an enemy in it. And an enemy desires to take what belongs to that king. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he declared an all-out assault and a conquest on the domain of the enemy. He says, I'm, going, I'm taking back what belongs to me. I'm, I'm taking back the children of God and I'm going to restore them to rightful relationship with my Father in heaven. That's what my work has come to do. He's initiated this conquest into enemy territory. And he's pulled no punches. He's going for it with everything. That's what his spirit has come to do. And, and we realize that when we get a new king, that that king establishes a new kingdom, a new type of kingdom. 
This is what Jesus, when we pray, when we pray like Jesus shows us to, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're praying for that. We're praying for this new kingdom to take effect in our hearts and in our lives. So, so when Jesus is king, here, here, here's the indicator that you're beginning to see more and more of Jesus being king in your life. Is that instead of opposing his reign and, and hiding the things in your life that are not in line with his reign, with his word, you begin to welcome the challenge. You begin to welcome the conviction. You begin to welcome this attitude of repentance. This attitude of coming back to Jesus and letting him reform you because you realize that the kingdom you've been building is so distorted because you've been serving the wrong king your whole life. And when you come to Jesus, he reforms it. And we begin building another kingdom. And it, it has physical evidences, but it's primarily a spiritual kingdom that we're building. And it starts in us before it goes through us. So how do we know if, if King Jesus is crowned in our lives? Well, the Scriptures in John chapter 14, 15 give us an indicator. He says this, If you love Me, you'll keep My commandments. That's a strong word, right? Now here's what He's not saying here. Um, he's not saying, here's how to earn My love. Here's how to prove that you're My disciples. It's more like this, because I'm alive in you, through faith, your kingdom now resembles my kingdom. The evidence of your life now resembles the evidence of my life. So what, what he's saying is what looks, what, what, what the disciple of Jesus, what his life produces, what it looks like. Now, now the, the danger for us is to see the disparity in what God's Word says our lives should look like and what they actually look like. The danger is to see that disparity and to think that God is so disappointed in us that there's no way that he can forgive us there's no way that he can invite us uh, to, to um, you know to repent because our lives are so off track that we don't even look like Christians the danger is that the enemy kind of meddles around in that and you're tempted to just keep professing Christ without ever possessing him and Jesus shows us that the way to both profess and possess Christ is to have this attitude of continual repentance. Matthew 3.8 and actually Luke 3.8 say the same thing. It says this, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So these, these uh, guys that, that John the baptizer was baptizing uh, were coming to him and they just wanted, they're like, hey man, I, I just want to make sure I don't miss the kingdom so let me get wet that way I can make sure I'm covered on all my bases, all right? Let me just make sure I'm covered. And he says, listen, you brood of vipers. He's like, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What's he saying? The real proof in the pudding is that your life evidences what you profess. That you actually possess what you profess. And that's the invitation to us. And, and, the, and the way that, that we begin to do that is we begin to see the places where our life is not in line Typically through looking at the Word of God. And what the Holy Spirit does is He illuminates our hearts and our minds and we see the places where God invites us to follow Him. And by faith, we have to do it. I mean, if we could, if we could live out God's Word without faith, we wouldn't need Jesus. We could just do it on our own. But because we're not our own, we've been bought with a price, we actually need God on the hook to help us obey. We can't do it without Him. So the way that we kind of keep the fire of God's power stoked in our lives 
is we have an attitude of continual repentance. Meaning, we continue to come back to God and we say, listen God, I'm building my own kingdom again. And, and some of our prayers actually probably should embarrass us if we're actually repenting well. They should embarrass us that our lives have gotten so far off the rails. That should be the normative posture when we approach God in prayer. But you notice, what I've noticed when I approach God like that is He never leaves me there. I always leave encouraged because He always reminds me that He loves me and He knows this about me. And He invites me to more and more obedience. In fact, Romans 2.4 says this about repentance. It says, do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, and this is the key, that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. So what we, what we think kindness looks like is that people just give us a, um, a nice southern pat on the back and a, and a bless your heart and, and you know keep on keeping on. You know That's what we think kindness is. That's not what kindness is. Real kindness is when God leads us to a place of repentance. You want to know what kindness is, that's what it is. And the kindest thing that God could do to any of us this morning is to show us the places in our lives where we're out of line. Now, he doesn't do it as a father that's, that's mad and that's, uh, that we've got to hide from. He does it as a father who we see and we feel like we're his favorite sons because we are, his favorite daughters because we are. Because God can have that many favorites. He can. And so we approach him like that, and then for us as the favorite sons and daughters, we can't wait to tell people about how good our dad is. I mean, how awesome he is. And so... We've got to have a, 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 a shift in how we see repentance. That we come back, that, that coming back to Jesus is a really, really good thing. It should be a really, really regular thing in our life. In fact, what we see is that repentance has more to do with how you relate to God than how you behave for God. That's really what repentance is. It has way more to do with your relationship to God than it does your behavior for God. And when you're in right standing with God, Repentance is just the maintenance of keeping that standing stoked in your heart. It's not trying to earn more standing through repentance. And, and I, I think that God looks at sin differently than we do. Um, for one, when, when, when the Scriptures say that, that you know, if you've transgressed against the law in one place, it's like you've broken the whole law. Now, you and I would say that was just a white lie. I'll do better tomorrow. But on the other side of it, when God forgives sin, and He forgives the sinner, they're in right standing with Him. So I, I think we tend to see sin as very situational. And God tends to see sin as very standing oriented. So either we're in good standing with God, and we're, He's cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, or we're out of standing with God, and there's nothing that we can do on our own accord to be in right standing. It doesn't matter if you knock it out of the park with obedience tomorrow. He sees it in, in, in a view of standing. We see it in a view of situation. And so when you see the love of God on your life and in a standing kind of occurrence, what happens is repentance is not something you're ashamed to do because God hasn't changed his mind about you. That's the beauty of the gospel is that by faith, when we believe in Jesus, we're in right standing with God for eternity. And the way that His Spirit keeps us in right standing and it perseveres through us is He leads us to repent, repentance. That's what His kindness, that's what it does. Are you ready to be shown the kindness of God today? That's how His kingdom will come in you. And when you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, 
What you're praying is that God would shape and form your life to look more like Jesus, and it's going to start in your heart before it goes anywhere else. Lastly, we've, we've said that, that we, need to, we must crown Jesus as king. We can't assume that. We second, secondly, we said whenever Jesus is king, he reigns in me. Now, lastly, when Jesus is king, he reigns through me. So, so these petitions for the Lord's Prayer uh, are really about conquest, about God coming in and taking out what the enemy, to reclaiming what the enemy has stolen. And his desire is to, the, to advance the extent of his rule and his reign to permeate the entire earth with his glory. And you know the vehicle that he's chosen to permeate the earth with his glory? You know what it is? It's you. It's you. You're the beloved son and daughter that God has chosen to extend His kingdom, His rule and His reign throughout the world through. He could have done it any way, but because He loves you so much, He invites you to participate in His rule and His reign throughout the world. He's interested in every tribe, every tongue, every nation. He's interested in every city, every neighborhood, every cul-de-sac. He's interested in every lobby, every warehouse, every cubicle. He's interested in every sports field, classroom, and doctor's office. His reign has no end, church. And everywhere that you find yourself, and every person you find yourself facing, His rule and His reign even extends to them. So as we, as we look at this, I want you to hear the invitation of God. The invitation of God to build the spiritual kingdom that He desires right here and right now. Because when we think about the kingdom of God, we typically have a future orientation. But the kingdom of God has a, a past, present, and a future orientation. King Jesus has come and He's inaugurated His reign. That's what we celebrate with Advent. He's disarmed the enemy. He's taken his weapons. He's cast them out of heaven. The earth is now his playground. He, 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 he tempts us, and we're, we're going to look at this more in depth in a couple weeks. He tempts us, but he's on a leash. You can hear his growl, but you can't feel his bite anymore if you're in Christ. His rule and his reign extend through us. But it's a spiritual kingdom primarily that he's building with physical implications. I'll say that. But his disciples, if we, if we turn, turn your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 11, his disciples struggled with understanding this. So these guys had seen Jesus live a perfect life, die a sinner's death, and raise from the dead. They, they were at the tomb. They were at the funeral, and then they were at the tomb the next morning, and he wasn't there. They had seen it all. If anyone, if anyone would have an excuse, anyone would not have an excuse to not believe, it'd be these guys. But they still struggle with it. So Jesus spends this time after he raises from the dead with his disciples for several weeks, intermittently, uh, kind of mysteriously. He comes and he meets them and he you know, restores Peter and he meets his disciples when they're in fear and all of these things. But they still have the same question that they had before. Acts 1, 6-11. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's, it's not for you to know the time or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. There's that word again. It's not for you to know. So you stop, he's saying, you stop worrying about the time and the details 
And you should be concerned about what I have called you to do. Oh, and by the way, here's what I have called you to do. Here's how, you, here's how the kingdom is built through you. It's not by going to Jerusalem and buying as many bricks as you can, you know, and, and taking all your vacation time so you can go up there and start building the walls again. It's not about that. It's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual. Here's what the kingdom advancing through you will look like, he says to his disciples and to us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That, that tells us that we're, we're going to need His assets, His resources to build His kingdom. Right? We're going to need that. He says you're going to receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And then what that power is going to lead you to do is this. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So right here, right where we're at. In Judea and Samaria. So kind of this region. And to the ends of the earth. You, you're going to... You're going to be my witnesses everywhere. That we're not just, you can't just think about Jerusalem. You can't just think about Israel anymore. You've got to think about everywhere. And he shows them that when he, when he marvels at the, the Romans' faith. He says, I haven't seen anyone in Israel like this before. My kingdom has no end, he's saying. This is where I'm going to send you, I'm saying. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Behold, two men stood by, by them in white robes and they said, Men of Galilee, what are you looking at? They said, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What are you looking at? What are you waiting for? I think some of us still think that the kingdom is going to be built through our lives by sitting and looking to heaven. And Jesus is saying, what I want to do in your life is I want to bring heaven to earth through my reign, through your life. That the kingdom can come a little bit more every day as you learn to let the kingdom be built in you and let the kingdom be built through you. Luke 17, 21, Jesus answers the question and the disciples are asking, you know, where's the kingdom? Is it here? Is it there? And Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst. It wasn't just because Jesus was physically present. It was because His Spirit, that, that's a promise to us too, His Spirit has come to magnify the reign of Jesus in our hearts and throughout the world. Many of us do not truly pray the Lord's Prayer. We, we say it with our words, but we don't say it with our heart and our motives. And the reason is, we have way too small of a vision for our lives. We are way too concerned with building Jerusalem here at home. I mean that metaphorically speaking. We're too, we're too concerned about ourselves that we can't see beyond it. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer Church, we're reminding ourselves that God has called us to build His kingdom in the hearts and minds of people through the power of His Spirit throughout all the earth. Throughout every barrier that you can think of in Gwinnett County, and there's a lot of them, aren't there? Every barrier, the gospel goes forth. Not because you're great, not because you're good, but because he's powerful and he lives inside of you. The gospel goes forth. Our job is not to convert someone, it's to live our lives in such a way that the proclamation and the demonstration of the power of the kingdom through the gospel of Jesus is regularly on our lips and rarely, regularly lived out through our lives. We, it's in proclamation and demonstration in all that we do. The rule and reign of Jesus goes forth and each day it's a little more bright than it was the day before. 
That's the work that the Spirit does. It's an incremental growth. You, you think about the, the kingdom parables in, in uh, Matthew 13. Jesus talks about the kingdom, and the way that he talks about the kingdom is says, hey, everything that he says is like, hey, it starts small and it gets bigger. It's like, uh, you know, a little bit of yeast in bread. It's like a, a little mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that grows into this great tree. It's this little thing that starts into a big thing. It grows into a big thing. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Is as we obey Him in the little, when we ser- ask Him to search us and know us, and we're obedient in the thing right in front of us, He grows His kingdom more expansively and more rapidly through our hearts and our lives. And the way to ask ourselves where the kingdom blockers are in our lives is this. Let's ask yourself this question. I can show grace and forgiveness to everyone except blank. Whatever that blank is for you is where you are, you are blocking the work of the kingdom by the power of your flesh. Because he says there's no, there's no end to the reign of King Jesus. And so if, if you can readily answer that question this morning you might want to write that down and pray through that this week because for me that's the indicator that i'm blocking the kingdom of of heaven going forth through my life in that way so what we're asking for we're asking for king jesus to produce evidence in our hearts and through our hearts as we obey him we're not asking him to just change the content of our prayers we're asking him to change the repercussions of our lives. And that invitation is for all of us, church. And Jesus desires to do that in His real. So let's pray together. King Jesus, your, your rule and Your reign have no end. And Lord, we ask this morning that uh, they'd have no end in our hearts as well. That, 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 that God, maybe every single day we would be more and more struck by how good you are. That the gospel would penetrate us in such a way that the kingdom is drilling down deep in our hearts. It's drilling down deep in New City Church. But as it drills deep, God, we want you to, we want your grace to advance very wide. And so, Father, I even pray for my friends around the holidays because they're going to encounter people that they probably grew up with and people that they might want to avoid in situations that you're inviting them into that, that they really would like not to be a part of, that your kingdom is even there, that your reign is even there. So God, would you give us faith to believe that, that because we are so loved by you, that you don't leave us as we are? We pray that all through the name of Jesus. Amen.